Comedy Confabulation, the Bell House, located here in the Desert Sands District of Brooklyn. It's a brisk 82 degrees here in Brooklyn tonight, and as you know, Brooklyn is a city that distinguishes itself in many ways. One, it's uh, seven years ago was the hippest place in the world. Two, come on, take a joke, goddammit. No one's wearing a man bun tonight. I can put that forward. That seems to have subsided, although non-ironic slave driver beards are still extant. It's not a slave driver beer. It's a demonstration of my white individuality, except that you look like a slave driver. But other than that, it's awesome. No, you look like Army Hammer in 12 Years a Slave, man. Sorry. Sorry, bro. Sorry, bro. Fucking starts early, doesn't it? I'm waspish tonight. I mean, never. I'm Semitic. But the point is... I'm going to be waspish. And, so, and the other thing that distinguishes Brooklyn is there's no natural air conditioning in this neighborhood. This neighborhood is located near a canal where there is a dolphin belly up right now, <laughs> gasping for air through its fucking blowhole. And then its last few bubbles that it sends, in multi- it's communicating in multicolored bubbles right now. And the last few bubbles that burst are like, open a window. And so... There's no breeze here. I've been outside a couple times. I talked to a lot of you. Everyone in the audience is wearing shorts and really kicky open neck shirts and sometimes flats with no socks, which I totally approve of. And uh, yeah, it's nice. It's different. I was in America, as I was discussing before the show earlier, and uh, America meaning an island off the coast of America, uh, like New York is, or uh, uh, San Francisco, which is a peninsula adjacent to America, uh, or Los Angeles, which is an area contained uh, inside America. Uh, but uh, America, uh, you know, Cincinnati uh, and uh, Ohio and uh, uh, um, South Carolina, uh, uh, Georgia and whatnot. We played the James Brown Auditorium in Georgia. Yeah, uh, it was so awesome. It's in Augusta. So Augusta is a double-edged sword um, because on the one hand, James Brown is from there. So and, uh, it's the, obviously clearly the coolest place on earth just because. Uh, secondly, it's where they have the Masters Tournament. And the Masters might be one of the great racist institutions in the United States. <laughs> if, if you're going to talk sporting institutions that, about exclusion, the, the Masters really is cake-taking. Uh, and they make you wear a green jacket that no one would wear unless they were going to their fucking barn dance prom. And... Uh, uh, Tiger, I think, was the first uh, person of color to get to wear one at the Masters. And we met a lot of people there on the Veranda Hotel afterward. And uh, some of them were t- uh, that were telling us that people buy houses, uh, redo a bunch of bedrooms, put a bathroom in every bedroom, and then rent them out for $20,000 a week during the Masters, and that's how they live. And I thought, I never want to come back. It's so interesting. <laughs> Your story it moved my heart. Uh, there's also a nuclear bomb plant there, and uh, uh, the, uh, not the TSA, the FISA is located there as well. So I was like, I really can't get out of here fast enough. I, I feel like if I'm smoking a joint, a white person has come, come along and go, my name's Doug, but you can call me Captain. And the next thing you know, you know you're, you're face down on the ground, and you're, you're being indoctrinated, and you're made to wear plaid, and all of a sudden you have to smoke a cigar outside like a douchewad, and uh, uh, that happened. Uh, there's happier stories, and I'm going to get to them one after the next. I thought that would be full of thrills and chills for the New York audience, but evidently a lot of you have been to fucking Augusta a million goddamn times. We also went to High Point, South Carolina, which uh, fantastically uh, uh, was anti-Trump in the room we were in. Uh, this is with Who's Live anyway. We, uh, we're an improv group. Uh, we, uh, you know, we call ourselves the Antique Roadshow. And um, we, we do improv from an older person's point of view. And um, it's a joke. You didn't have to laugh as hard at that one. That was probably the biggest reaction so far tonight, and that really, 
as Andy Kindler would say, that disgusted me. Um, that, or no, what does he say? That sickened me. Um, the, uh, that, so we were in High Point, South Carolina, and you're like, what's in High Point, South Carolina? One, outside of the theater behind it, a John Coltrane statue that had an audio book that went with it. You press different buttons and it would play like Giant Steps or whatever, and they go, Giant Steps was John Coltrane's breakthrough. Yeah. And there was a statue of it, so we all took pictures in front of it like idiots. And then people who were coming to the show would be like, can we get a picture with you? And we're like, um, we're a little busy taking our picture in front of the John Coltrane statue. <laughs> Till the end of fucking time, and they're like, yeah, whatever. And I kept calling it the John Coltrane Theater for the Performing Arts, which it wasn't. It was like the Jay Burgard Sessions Theater of the Performing, you know what I mean? It was, it was, it was a theater of oppression, and it was originally meant to store feed for the rest of the South and whatnot. But it was a, a beautiful room, and they were really lovely. And uh, there was a couple Trumpkins there, and they got fucked off at an improv show. I don't know how big a snowflake you are. I can handle an almost unlimited amount of conservative bullshit because I live in the United States. You have to be able to. Every morning you wake up and a white guy is going, man, 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 man. So you're like, I got it, I got it, I get it, I get it, right? The reason all the children were shot was abortion in video games. Abortion formed a bullet in a uterus and made it go through a video game that took corporeal life and shot all the children. Uh, oh, yeah, that's what happened. Um, so I'm used to that. Uh, but uh, it was great that we were doing, like, little improv jokes about being in the Secret Service and stuff. And, uh, like, Trumpkins in the crowd were like, well, I thought this was going to be humor. And you're like, really? Um, high point distinguishes itself one way. John Coltrane was, uh, went to school there. But two, the other way, the world's largest chest of drawers. So we'd heard about it. <laughs> I'm standing in front of the, I'm, sta I'm standing in front of, I felt exactly the same way. And I still feel that way. The world's largest chest of drawers. Now, there's the world's largest pool of sparn, yarn of thing, pool of parn, whatever it is. There's a giant kitten next to it waiting to strike it, you know, whatever. I've been to the world's largest thermometer in Baker, California, which is on your way to Palm Springs when you drive from Los Angeles, or Vegas, rather. You hit a town called Baker, and there's nothing there, except there used to be a restaurant called The Bun Boy. And Jennifer and I always bought gear there, because it said, Bun Boy, Baker. With no evident irony. Put your lips around a Bun Boy. Don't mind if I do, the weather's a little hot. I'm gonna Gila monster this one. <laughs> but there's a falafel stand there and uh, you can get a strawberry shake and a falafel. Then you can drive like five yards and there's a lawn with like a cattle skull blanched on it and a wagon wheel, you know, it's the real deal. And there's a giant thermometer. Now, when you think giant thermometer, I'm sure you think the same thing I do. An enormous medieval erection a la Galileo, right? Where thousands of square cubic gallons of mercury have been poured by a series of people who were jitter and jabber the rest of their lives and always think the sun is flickering because of the amount of mercury they've had to absorb through their hands while putting it in this giant tube. And then a man comes out in a floppy hat with garters on and goes, behold, or in Italian, right? And everybody... And then they go, oh, Maron, right? Or whatever they said in medieval Italy. And, and you see the thermometer. Baker's is a giant erection that says Baker on it. And then there's a series of uh, uh, oblongs. And it's digital. 
So it says like 104 at the top. I have a dazzling array of high-tech devices with me. I'm in my car, I've got a phone, I have a squirrel named Emil, and he runs out, and he, you know, there, I have a lot of ways to tell what the... I don't need a sphygmometer because the squirrel is desperately accurate about pressure. And a lot of you are like, it's not pressure if it's the sphygmometer. It's the barometer. So, I like to stop to check the meteorologist in the crowd. We drove through and we're like, I wanted a big red tube of mercury. And it's just a digital thing that says it's fucking hot on it. And it says on it, world's largest thermometer. And I, I went over to it and I scratched world's largest disappointment. So we're in high point, which isn't. And wasn't, but it was a lovely place. By the way, the best food on the entire, I know you're desperate to know this. There's only two things that matter when you're on the road. Uh, um, uh, you know, Filipino boys and <laughs> crack cocaine. So having fulfilled those requirements, uh, for me, iced tea before the show, because I'm old fashioned. And uh, I'm in the movie uh, Murder in the Garden of, what's that fucking movie? The, what's the Clint Eastwood one with it? What is it? Midnight in the Garden. Oh, but isn't Kevin Spacey in that? Yeah. Oh, well, then we're forbidden to talk about that movie at the end of time. <laughs> Except that what's-her-name's in it? That Champagne or Chardonnay? What's her name? Lady Chablis in it. So fuck it, we're talking about it. Because Lady Chablis is awesome. And she erases the space uh, part of it. So uh, uh, I, I drink iced tea like in that movie. Well, I don't wear a seersucker suit because I don't... Uh, Paul Tompkins and I don't share a closet. But we... <laughs> He, he wears awesome Colonel Sanders-type gear and shit, which I can't pull off at all. I look like, like Colonel Sanders. People are like, really? Is it, is it Shabbat already? Um, I didn't know the colonel was going give, to give a brucha. But uh, so, uh, thank you. If I was Richard Lewis, I'd go, it was, it was, it was Colonel Schmanders. I remember one Richard Lewis joke that's so awesome. He goes, I was at a place so hillbilly, the rabbi was wearing a coonskin cap. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was, I was, I don't dress like Colonel Schmanders, but that, it's the food, right? The hotel, of course, important, but the food uh, before the show. And, you know, it's whatever, catch as catch can. Sometimes it's really good. In Charlotte, it was, uh, um, uh, I had meatloaf. We had fried green tomatoes, grits, collard grains, uh, yeah, shrimp and grits. Um, like, it was wild. It, this hot out, by the way, and you're eating food like if you were going to go on a polar expedition and you were waiting three months for Shackleton to fuck it up and then save you, but you had this big meal at the beginning of it so you were kind of not dead by the end of it or whatever. It was that much food. And uh, the crew guys went, we were going to order from another place, but fuck it. And uh, the, uh, the crew guy, whose name escapes me, he was marvelous, and he said, um, uh, how, how loud are y'all going to be? And um, Dave Foley, who's with our group, goes, you don't have to put on that cartoon accent for us. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite things anyone's ever said. <laughs> and because it's Dave Foley, he got away with it. The guy was like, ah, ha, ha, shit, you know, like, right. <laughs> if I'd said it, it would be like, woo, woo, you know. 
right? Eastbound and loaded up and trucking. We got a long way to go and a short time. Right, all of a sudden, I got fucking Buford T. Justice on my ass and shit. If anyone is near the bar, I don't have a vodka up here. This is uh, Amaro, but we'll get to that. Uh, if, if anyone could get me a vodka, that would be substantial. Or even a fucking beer. I'll take a beer at this point. Uh, yeah, you've never seen me drink beer. This is a new night for Dad. Dad, I've watched you take meth. I've watched you drop acid and sing Christmas carols. What's with the beer all of a sudden? Son, it's hot out. And the Brooklyn Dodgers lost today. They lost to the... They lost to the Boston Braves. Jackie was two for four and Gil had a tater, but God damn it, Levine. I said... Sorry. It's like that Matchbox 20 song, as so few things in life are. Oh, it's a hot one. Or who is that, Santana? Make it real. Oh, it's a hot one. Boo. Boo. I think we're all down with John Sebastian and shit. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, look, alcohol. Comedian Joy L. Johnson, ladies and gentlemen, stepping up. We'll be with Joy L. in West Virginia. I'll get to that in one second. I'll get to it right now. Fuck it, we're there. Uh, uh, Joy L. and I will be at the uh, Lady Parts Justice League Vagical Mystery Tour with Liz Winstead. Uh, I can't think of her name. Anybody else? And uh, other. Who? Now, Nagin, what's your last name? Nagin Rasad, uh, who does a lovely podcast here in New York City, and, uh, and uh, I'll be the token uh, straight white guy. Really, you're straight? Fuck you. <laughs> After you hear the next story, you're going to make no case for this at all. And I haven't forgotten about the world's largest fucking chest of drawers, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. The next event in this venue is scheduled to open at 10 o'clock, so I really hope you've kept your dance card open tonight because what was going to be a quick fucking three innings and out has now turned into an epic 27-inning fucking scoreless battle. Uh, the Lady Parts Justice League, uh, if you're listening uh, to anything that's happening in the world, you'll know that women's rights have enjoyed this week a terrible assault uh, by the uh, um, Hitler administration and also... Uh, or the Tweetler administration, if you will, and uh, uh, have enjoyed a, a resounding success in the country of Ire, uh, Ireland voted to... Re- <laughs> the most restrictive laws in the Western world outside of, oh, I don't know, Kentucky, Mississippi, Ohio, Wisconsin, uh, West Virginia, um, what am I missing... Iowa, Iowa, Jesus, H, McGillicuddy on a fucking stick, Iowa! I was at a gig in Iowa um, two years ago with Jeff Davis, who you'll know from uh, nothing. And (laughs) Jeff and I, uh, Jeffrey and I, uh, he's prospered under my tutelage, I can tell you that. My firm hand upon his guiding wheel has led him to 
blossom like no other, like an orchid in, a, in Raymond Burr's hothouse. And <laughs> last year we were in India in December. The year before we were in Iowa. So no one can say I don't show this motherfucker a good time. <laughs> I didn't say Indiana. I said Iowa one year, India the next year. And uh, talk about hot. <laughs> so... We performed a gig and there were so many mosquitoes. I don't even think I've ever talked about this on the show. Have I ever talked about this on the show? I don't think I've ever talked about going to India. We went to India. And uh, why, Greg? To do comedy. Because you know what? A country of a billion and a half people and 7,000 religions and 400 dialects is missing. The world's largest democracy where they have as many guns as we do and more religions that go back to the Bronze Age than any country per capita. Fucking impro. Um... (laughs) They were missing knob gags. This one's called sound effects. So, yeah. I know what you're thinking. They invented, like, I don't know, religion and culture and walls and shit. Pudding, tigers, a lot of things. But what they needed was you and Jeff to do some fucking crispy knob gags. So we did this one gig in Hyderabad. We did a gig in Bangalore, uh, which they don't call that, Bangalore, and another gig in Hyderabad, or Hyderabad, if you will, or Hyderabad. And um, it's super uh, chatty there, right? It's way tacky. So it's super, in India, super Raji, um, right? If I'm from the Bay Area, where everybody's Chad, and that's with the tech people, and then in India, Raj. So, and the crowd's all gone quiet. Aren't you doing, aren't labels really disable, Greg? Um, don't tech people bear no responsibility for the hideousness they've wrought upon the world and then they blithely walk around like they're doing some benign fucking good like they invented penicillin or something? Sorry. Yeah, I love my phone too. I'm waving it around and shit. That doesn't mean the person who designed it didn't send it off to a fucking slave farm in China because they're a douchewad. So, yes, it's possible to drive a limousine and be irate. I mean, ride in a limousine. So after we got done with our chores in India, we did this show. And I'm just, God damn you guys. So we had to do a million online things for them because it's India. And everyone takes a selfie with you. And I mean everyone. I took a selfie with one billion people. <laughs> and they're lovely. And uh, of course, it's fantastic. And if you like curry, it's the feel-good country of the year. Because <laughs> uh, the curry is sensation. Um, also, there's this whole thing where they go like, oh, don't eat fruit. And you're like, what's going on? Don't eat fruit. Or, why? Or, or salad. Or ice. Or brush your teeth. Or open your mouth and you take a shower. Have a great time. Listen, enjoy yourself. I want you, I want you to have fun while you're here. It's because because of the wonderful things they does. You could eat a banana. A, ban- a banana. You could eat a banana. If you're British, you could eat a banana. Because they're covered in a uh, fruit thing. Fruit armor. But you couldn't eat like an, uh, a, an apple or a raspberry or a snozberry or whatever. There's no such things as snozberries. We. 
are the music makers. And we are the dreamers of dreams. So uh, you couldn't eat that, and you couldn't have a salad, uh, and you could have a beer, to be sure, uh, and you could have vodka, but the ice sometimes, and of course at the hotel, I said to the guy when we checked in, and it was a lovely hotel, uh, and they were, it was four in the morning, by the way, and uh, Jennifer and I were like, we're starving, right? You've been traveling two days. You know, you, you go, we went around the world, which was really fun, and um, we, all of a sudden, as you go around the world, fucking Lisa Stansfield. Um, she's right there, right? She's looking for her baby, and you're like, fuck. And you're like, you weren't kidding. <laughs> Been around the world, and I, yeah, yeah. I can't find my baby. I don't know where I don't. Right? So we're over like Yakust, and you're like, I've done too much lying, wasted too much time. Now I'm here, I'm crying. So. We flew one way, right? We flew from Los Angeles to Dubai, and then Dubai to Bangalore, and then Bangalore to Hyderabad, and then from Hyderabad over Russia and over the Arctic and back to LA. So we actually made it all the way around the world. And um, it was good fun. Uh, and like that. Uh, not that this, I, I'm, everyone's in the crowd's like, what happened? We discovered new lands. Um, we uh, uh, So we did uh, the gig in uh, Bangalore, and we show up, and um, there's, I said to the guy afterward, how many people were working the show? There was three comedians on the show, uh, CJ Papa, me, and Jeff. And uh, the, he did his stand-up set, then we did our improv. Um, 96 people on the crew. By the way, there's no one on the crew here tonight. <laughs> Ari's on the comm, and that's it. I know, you may have noticed you're serving yourself at the bar. It's an honesty bar here at the Bell House. I'd just like to say that for everyone who's going to visit the Bell House in the future that's listening to this podcast. Um, when you come here, you just write down in a book what you took. <laughs> and uh, we get to the gig, and uh, 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 mosquitoes everywhere and shit. We do the gig in Hyderabad. We're next to a lake. And the lake is full of mosquitoes. We go into the dressing room, and all of us go to our separate dressing rooms, and uh, uh, everyone comes running into our dressing room immediately because there's squadrons of mosquitoes, phalanxes of mosquitoes, the fucking fighting fucking 101st screaming eagles of mosquitoes. I went into the loo, and there was a white sink, and there were literally a squadron of mosquitoes in a three-point position all around the sink. Thousands. So everyone came running into our room screaming. So we asked, does anyone have deed or whatever? So we sprayed ourselves, our faces, our eyes, our ears. And Jeff goes, it's so nice to be here performing next to Lake Zika. <laughs> so it was Christmas time in India. And I don't know if you know this about India. Uh, they celebrate Christmas. Like, no, I mean, no, obviously. We were in a Muslim part of India, so no. But the, the, the fun of it, right? There were gingerbread lattes at the Starbucks. <laughs> and, and, yes, there were. There were Christmas lights and Christmas trees everywhere in all the shopping malls and shit. Oh, fuck yeah. At the airport, there was the, like, at the hotel, there was a Christmas tree that was sort of like their idea of a Christmas tree. It was like a tree with stuff on it. <laughs> and there was a gingerbread house, a gingerbread house in India. You're like, wow, yodelay he who. 
And so I go into the audience and I say, is there a festival you celebrate uh, here in India? And one of the people in the audience goes, yeah, Christmas. Yeah. And I turn to Jeff, who's on stage, and I go, hey, Christmas. And he goes, hey, happy Vishnu. And I go, Merry Krishna. Hey, Cobble Hill. I didn't go all the way around the world to tell this fucking amusing ass story. To have your fucking sea cucumber like judgment come raining down on me. I dare you to go to India and come up with Happy Krishna. I'm not even telling you all of it. We did a U-turn on the freeway. And I don't know if you've ever had fun in your life. We're going to the airport in Bangalore to get on a plane to go to Hyderabad. And we had our box lunch with us and whatnot. We're in the back seat. And um, there was some terrible thing that happened on the road. And our driver turned the van around in a 180 on the freeway during traffic and fucking started back the other way with cars. Yeah. And all, Jennifer and I just looked at each other and went like. <laughs> at one point during a four-hour sound check, Jeff turned to me and went, relax, Greg. It's India. Uh, All I could think of was the theme from Mannix. Thank you. It's a detective show from the 60s, which had an action sequence that opened it in multicam. A U-turn on the freeway, and all I could think of was... Or or the, the sabotage by the Beastie Boys. You know, I'm like sliding off the hood and shit. I mean, several years ago on the way here, it was raining on the Brooklyn Bridge, and we were coming over, and our driver was Afghani, and he spoke not a word of English, and um, a car was on fire ahead of us on the bridge, and the entire, yes, and the entire, I, my life's fun, and there's a car on fire, and plumes of purple and black oil-laden, poisonous-ass fucking Hawaii Mauna Loa gas are spewing all over the bridge, black particles landing. And we're in a 1972 Lincoln Continental. And yeah, with a driver who like, and so there's a fire and Jennifer goes, go up and check. I'm in my show clothes, which is to say a pinafore and a single strand of pearls. So as not to be ostentatious. I talk on the telephone for hours. And, right? The phone rings in the middle of the night. My father, yes. What you gonna do with your life? So I get out of the Cadillac Continental and in my show clothes and my hair did which, by the way, I don't even know what the fuck it's doing tonight. This is like pancake hair weather. You really, you have to, you, I need to be Slim Jim Fanton and have like a, an, a person who carries Aquanet near me at all times and just spraying me constantly like a John Waters movie. Because this shit's drooping, I know it. And uh, although India, strangely awesome. The hair there, fuck. 
The women's hair was beautiful, but the men's hair in India was to fucking die for. I could start a rockabilly franchise in India. So uh, I get out the uh, Continental and I runs down the Brooklyn Bridge in the rain. It's raining, by the way. And, I, and I'm like, oh, fuck, there's a car on fire. So I run back. And as I'm running back, Jennifer's standing on the running boards. That's how old this car is. There's running boards, right? Like you're escaping the feds and you're a bootlegger. She's got her, right? Standing on the running boards, going like this. Everyone on the bridge at this point sees her do that and turns their car around. So the Brooklyn Bridge is full of cars going back the wrong way through traffic coming this way, much like in Bangalore. And I runs back to the car and we come off the bridge and we came back the other way. And then we, we got back on the bridge, of course, 20 minutes later. Um, by the way, uh, the Brooklyn PD, not present at this event. The car was thrown over the side by John Travolta and a group of his friends. Yeah, Donna Pescow gave me a ride to the gig, you guys. Well, you can't tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman, man. No time to talk. So, we're in high point, and now the show's over. And the theater was so dinky, we were served our food with no ceremony, right? Basically on the stage. So we kind of ate on the stage and watched people come in. And then we did the show, and then we were fucking off. And uh, while we're getting our picture at the John Coltrane statue with some of the locals, uh, one of them goes, you think this is impressive. You should see the, right, the John Coltrane statue where he's holding a saxophone, and I'm like crying and recording it and sending it to Jennifer and crying. Uh, she goes, you think this is impressive. You should see the world's biggest chest of drawers. So... I'm like, I can only imagine. Say now. So, on Indian TV, in the daytime, there are stories of Hindu heroes. So, There'll be a show on, and a guy will be painted blue and fly into a scene, and then his enemy will cut his tongue off, and it'll lay on the ground and turn into a glowing worm and shit. This is in the daytime while you're watching telly. And there's 325 channels. The internet is so fast in India that when shit downloads, your phone goes, and flies off the counter. It's great. Uh, there's also people with no head and shit begging. No head. And you're like, wow. That's a malady I didn't count on seeing. I thought I'd prepared myself emotionally for this. But clearly I hadn't. This is going to sound terrible, and I don't want it to. Then why not not say it, Greg? <laughs> All right, I won't. All right, there was a. G- <laughs> we were shopping, and uh, is there any uh, uh, Ari? Is there a George Harrison song on there? 
Maybe like an Indian raga type. Oh, I know. Uh, Najma, N-A-J-M-A, on the iPod. Under artists. This may take some time. Ari and I have just met. The show hasn't started yet, by the way. Oh, I don't care. Just any old fucking, yeah. I've almost forgotten the joke. I didn't even think Nash was Indian. But you get the idea. We were talking about the comedy improv show and how dear about we were shopping in Bangalore. I was buying elephants. Little cute elephants with howdahs on them. You know the howdah? That, that's what you ride in on top of an elephant. Not you, but people that have been to India, like me. And the streets are intoxicating with the smell of dust and incense, cooked food, curry. There's more people than you could possibly imagine. We live in New York. <laughs> what if New York was a backwater? You live in upstate India. That's how many fucking people are there. And I mean everywhere you go. People, humanity, the pageant. Oh, look, a baby, I think. shopping and outside one of the stores all these moderns you know everything it's newest latest everything and oldest oldest everything shit that's crumbled beyond measure giant idols with enormous heads screaming fucking baboons and uh, uh, packs of wild dogs and and coconut husks and and hindus and muslims and buddhists and jains and every goddamn conceivable fucking stripe of humanity all in one place red Dots and Mindy and Bindi and fucking music playing cacophonously from doorways and horses in livery pulling Muslim wedding wagons and goats in a box. Goats in a box. Jennifer goes, look, there's a bunch of goats in a box. Chickens. No pigs. And we're shopping. As Jeff said to someone, oh, you love Christmas here? And they went, oh, yes, we love Christmas. Notice I'm not doing the accent. Yes, we love Christmas. And what about Hanukkah? And they go, not so much. (laughs) There's gingerbread lattes, but no dreidels. So we were shopping. We were shopping. And I bought a really bitching brass elephant. And then outside, these two little colorful blue elephants with howdahs. And we're looking, and there's a guy dressed as Santa Claus in front of a shop, greeting people, because it's Christmas time in India. And he weighed 94 pounds. He was the thinnest Santa Claus in the world. The whole idea of patting it out, wearing a beard, I'm wearing the fucking outfit. You get the idea. I took a picture of him, and in the picture, he's going like this, right at me. 
You get away with nothing in India. Absolutely superb. So we're in Iowa two years ago. You may pound this down a little now, Ari. There is no music to represent Iowa except the, the, the white people music of women being oppressed. And it was snowing like the very devil. And uh, it was Christmas time in Iowa. And, uh, which, as you know, is the most festive time in Iowa. I don't even know what that means. There was a mall that was adjacent to the hotel that was adjacent to a mall. You know, you didn't have to walk outside if you didn't want to, which I did anyway. But I went over to the mall and there was... Oh, in any case, fuck this story. So Jeff, who has no boots, no nothing. He's wearing like a Vivian Westwood coat. And yeah, and like, like dress shoes. Him and I on the road are like... It's called the Butch It Up Tour. So... We're talking about cologne and hair products, you know, it's, it's, so he goes outside, much unbidden, by the way. I didn't say, hey, Jeff, you should take a fucking stroll outside in your dress shoes while it's pouring snow in a blizzard in Des Moines or wherever the fuck we were. It's V French, Des Moines. I had an ambergé avec barbecue sauce, avec pommes frites. If you think smoking dope is hard outside, you should try it in fucking 32 degrees below zero with a whipping ass fucking wind. You should try getting a fucking spliffled out there. The wh- Where's my parade? I'm gonna go on a hunger strike until I get a fucking parade around here. Jeff fell. And as he described it to me, skittered down the street for half a block like a turtle on his back. (laughs) The few bystanders that were there laughed and pointed. Cars pulled up to laugh and point. No one helped him. He had to flip himself over. We get to the gig and he's like, my back. I'm like, what's up? I got to tell you this fucking story. So he did the gig because he's a trooper, I guess. So we're in High Point with Jeff and um, we've all uh, taken pictures of the thing. Now the show's over. And uh, our tour manager, Morgan, goes, so what about it, boys? Boys. It was pointed out to me years ago. If you watch Errol Flynn movies, and I'm excusing Errol Flynn from the whole Me Too movement, even though he needs to be expunged from history. (laughs) Simply for the purposes of this conversation tonight. Uh, Errol Flynn, as you know, was an action star of the 30s, 40s, and early 50s, until he met his untimely demise from malaria, syphilis, and a spirochete burrowing through his brain. (laughs) I love Errol Flynn. And uh, what was the point of this fucking story? What was it? Boys? The show is over. Oh, yeah, the chest of fucking drawers. I haven't forgotten that. It's indelibly etched in my mind. So, the show's over. And uh, we're going... Uh, 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 Morgan goes, um, hey, boys. And in every Errol Flynn movie, 
Robin Hood, uh, 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 whatever, Pony Express. What's the fucking... He's Custer in one of them. I think it's called yeah. The Die With Their Boots On or whatever. Yeah. Errol Flynn and uh, Bally... What's it called? Bally Owen or whatever that fucking Irish... My, I've said two things, and I'll repeat them now. Uh, the point of every uh, movie, uh, black and white John Ford movie from the 30s and 40s, is that to prove that everyone in America is Scottish-Irish. <laughs> and so Bally Owen always plays in every movie. And you're like, what's Bally Owen? When the cavalry rides in before they slaughter the indigenous people, um, it always goes... Right? And sometimes they sing to it, it has words and shit. Oh, we slaughter the indigenous people, we do. We slaughter the indigenous people, we do. The Aborigines and the colored ones too. We slaughter them all, we do. We do. Oh, your mother is dead, and your father is dead, and your father is dead, and I'm pissed in my head, and I'm out of time to kill the man, and then he's out of the Indians, too. We'll slaughter the people who lived here before us. We'll slaughter the people who lived here before us. We'll slaughter the people who lived here before us, and one day I have a president, too. So, in every goddamn Errol Flynn movie, he'll go, come on, boys, or come on, lads. They're never men, even though they're always men. You never see in movies where women are in charge. You never see in movies where women are in charge. But when you do, they don't go, girls. Let's fucking kill these aliens and shit. Put her down, you bitch. So Morgan says to us, who, hey, he says, who's up for the world's largest chest of drawers? <laughs> well, when in Rome. So we go, let's fucking go there. So we look it up and shit. And I'm on the phone and, oh, it's over here. It's on the street. It's on, um, it's at the confluence of boredom and small child took his own life. <laughs> Small child stayed here till he was 17 and then realized the world was bigger and had to fucking leave. By the way, all furniture in the world is made in High Point, South Carolina, in case you were wondering. Not the shitty chairs you're sitting on. Those were made in a mental hospital in Romania in the 30s and shipped to every elementary school in America, so that's what you had to sit on during a fucking every rally you went to. Those shitty folding chairs where your back has no support, your ass is sliding down the back because it's hot tonight, your crack is fucking sweating, and your butt is sliding down the goddamn chair, and there's that horrible shoulder part where you're like, oh, fuck, that got wet. Bugler, sound the charge. You're about to kill the people that live here. <laughs> what are they saying, Little Big Man by Arthur Penn? With Dustin, uh, no, his name shall not be mentioned. Uh, by Little Big Man. Spare the women and children, if possible. <laughs> so uh, we drive there and we pull up to it. And there it is, four stories of the world's largest chest of drawers. It's a facade. Or, if you will, a facade. <laughs> There's a building behind it that's something. It's the united life of uh, white people, Methodist, oppressive, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Fucking Trump supporting, we kill children, church, whatever the fuck it is. White people, good time, bow hunk, hee haw, gun turning, sucker, Christian, antitrust, gun in the back, dog. <laughs> High school basketball came, BTK, killer, children of the corn, fucking. <laughs> 
anti-Mexican sheriff, blah, 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 blah. Jesus is our Lord, blah, 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 blah. Fetuses are awesome. Uh, they're full-grown people. A refugee child is a terrorist. Uh, high school. And they've built this giant facade because it's the furniture capital of the world. How do you know it's the furniture capital of the world? I, they mentioned it. This, for instance. Clearly marked. High Point, South Carolina. I'm joking, of course. This is the Bell House. Ikea is like Bloomingdale's to this fucking place. So we get there, and everybody's like, And Morgan goes, should I stop? <laughs> and from the back seat, fully. Yeah, stop so Greg can take a picture. <laughs> should we stop and get out? Silence in the car. So I took a couple pictures. They're like, I'll send them to all y'all. And they're like, cool. <laughs> We're here tonight. And uh, then we'll be at the Negro Leagues Museum Hall of Game Awards. On the 9th of June, uh, that's going to be a very exciting event. Um, for those of you who like baseball, which is two of you, um, uh, Kenny Lofton will be there. Uh, yeah, Kenny Lofton uh, played for the Clevelands, the Braves, uh, several, five teams at least. Uh, the 95 Clevelands, uh, maybe the 97 Clevelands, the 2002 Giants for sure, for 46 games. And um, was as fast as the devil himself. Um, also, uh, Mudcat Grant. Um, the first black man to win a World Series game in the American League. Yeah, that happened in 1965. He, he also hit a three-run homer uh, in that game. Uh, Dick Allen will be there, contentious Philly. Um, uh, J.R. Richard, who was a six-foot-eight fireballing. Yeah, J.R. Richard's astounding. Had a stroke during the 1980 season, was the fastest pitcher I ever saw. And then Eddie Murray will also be there. Who, uh, one of the reasons why you're lucky you're not married to me is... Um, I looked up the game that Jennifer and I were at where Eddie Murray hit a home run from both sides of the plate. The first one was in the third inning off Gunderson. The second one was, fuck you. So then we're going to be at the ACLU membership conference uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, Cecile Richards is going to be there. John Lewis. It's going to be an awesome event. Yeah. Um, we're doing a panel on race, which will be quite fun. And then a podcast. Yeah. I've just come from the Negro League Museum. Uh, and then uh, we'll do the podcast there on the 11th as well. Uh, I'll be doing Improvaganza in uh, Edmonton with Colin Mockery on the 14th. My understanding is that's already sold out. You can't fucking come. Uh, <laughs> then the 20th, the Lady Parts Justice League Vagical Mystery Tour. Lady Parts Justice League is fighting ceaselessly uh, for women's reproductive rights all over the country. They go from town to town and go to the clinics and help them out, paint the place, buy them what they need, ask them what they need for office supplies. Yeah. Liz Winstead. 
and the entire crew there, uh, there's loads of people working uh, with Liz at the Lady Parts uh, Action League and the Lady Parts Vagical Mystery Tour. You can find them at uh, Lady Parts Justice League on Twitter. You can give them money as well. Uh, it was our honor, Jennifer and I, to go to uh, Mississippi last year to the Pink House and interview uh, Shannon Brewer, who's the dire- director there, and uh, a bunch of anti-choice people. This year we're going to West Virginia, and we're going to talk to the clinic there in uh, West Virginia and Charleston, and then we're going to do a show on uh, the 20th at the bakery uh, with Joy L. Johnson and... Um, the rest of us there. So that'll be great fun. And uh, we're already looking forward to the food there. Because um, I only have two things in my mind. Where can I get high after the show and not be beaten to death by the cops? <laughs> by the way, Joyelle, who brought me uh, the drink earlier, and I were smoking a joint last year in the car park of Doolin Hall in Jackson, Mississippi. And a uh, Mississippi state trooper pulled up and got out with his gun drawn. And Joyelle looked at me like this, and I was like, don't worry, if anything happens, I'm your lawyer. The guy who was running the venue, who was taking the tickets, was wearing a 45 sidearm. And I was wearing full makeup and hair and a purple suit. And he went, are y'all in the show? <laughs> no, I'm in the bus and trunk company of Jersey Boys. And we just stopped over here around the... Big girls don't cry. They don't cry. Big girls don't cry. They just a pretty girl. Fuck you, Siri. I hate when Siri interrupts my Four Seasons impressions. That's not even my favorite song by them. I think Cherry. Sherry, baby. What the fuck were the Four Seasons all about? <laughs> the fuck happened in New Jersey? <laughs> Although, all right. I, Ira? Sound person? Ari. Will you tell Ira that... I'm dyslexic. Fuck you, all right? Ari is Ira, and Ari, Ira is Ari. I am he, and you are we, and you are me, and we are... See how they run like pig... Nobody? All right. Uh, I think it's the Four Seasons, but it might be just Frankie Valley. You're just too good to be true. Yeah, it's Frankie Valley. <laughs> Bob Crew passed away a couple years ago. We've got to start the show. <laughs> we don't have to. Uh, Bob Crew passed away a couple years ago, and he produced all. Bob Crew was gay and produced the Four Seasons. He also produced um, uh, LaBelle doing Lady Marmalade. And yeah, I think. Well, there's a long intro, but really fucking loud, I think. Yeah, I think a lot of people are excited. You're just too good to be true. Right. Can't take my eyes off of you. You'd be like heaven to touch. I wanna hold you so much. At long last. 
I just, <laughs> then we'll be in San Jose, uh, which you haven't been to, ought to go. Why should we go to San Jose? Exactly. First of all, LA is a great big freeway. <laughs> uh, we'll be at the improv there the 22nd through the 24th. Then back in Western Hollywood at the Bar Libich on, uh, I can't read it, 722. What is that? July. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm taking a couple weeks off. Uh, <laughs> then Burbank, Jesus Christ. Who's doing my booking? Me. <laughs> On the uh, 23rd at Flappers. Uh, 26th through the 28th at back in San Francisco at the Punchline. Uh, the podcast will be on the 26th there. Bar Lubitsch again in West Hollywood on August 15th. Uh, again on uh, August 22nd in Dallas. I booked myself in Dallas at the end of August. I'll be at Dealey Plaza every day handing out pamphlets about how Bigfoot killed JFK with the... With the assistance of John Lennon in a van. <laughs> the podcast will be on September 2nd. Then we'll be at the Helium in Portland in October. Uh, Tacoma, Spokane, and then awesomely for us, hopefully Australia. I'm going to let my Australian chums know. I hope I'm not too previous on this, but uh, we're hoping to get to Australia uh, in November. And then uh, uh, Shakespeare and Company in Paris on the 11th of December. Then we'll be doing Who's Line with uh, Josie Lawrence, Colin Mockery, Brad Sherwood, Jeff Davis, me, uh, Laura Hall and Linda Taylor, and Clive Anderson on uh, the 15th and 16th of December at the Royal Albert Hall. Yes, I'm going to count how many holes it takes. 
And uh, I'd love to turn. If we don't close the show, I thought I'm going to fucking quit. Then uh, the 17th, the podcast in Soho Theatre in London for our UK chums. That's when I'll be there then. Thank you for participating. Uh, As we wrap things up, let me, I'm joking, of course. There's so much. I have a lot of gifts here. Uh, We're going to spin through this. Let's see here. Oh, Ron, who last year gave me a piece of bread and some remoulade and a a, a tiny, tiny cocaine spoon. Has made what appears to be a loaf of hot bread. You said you got better. And then what are, what are these fine dips and uh, dishes here? Organic fruit and vegetables. Organic fruit and vegetables. That is, I'm so close on this. Um, thank you for that. Thank you very much. Uh, that's really lovely. I don't, uh, I can't. Uh, I can, yeah, I can't dance, but there's that. There's a lot of criticism here tonight by a crowd. <laughs> Again, and this is what I love about Ron. I don't know where he finds tiny cocaine spoons, but... (laughs) Go. Go. Oh, shit. (laughs) Does anyone have a menthol? John, I don't think I'm going to have time to eat this. So if you don't mind, I'm going to pass this out. And like Jesus, I expect everyone to have a bite of this. I should have started it earlier. I realized that. But poor planning is the hallmark of this show. And a young man outside, uh, Matthew? Who, who drew the kittens, McTavish? Where are you? JJ? Your name was JJ? Really? Oh, that's so lovely. Oh, it's on the back, is it? No, it's not. Um, Did a watercolor of Kittens McTavish, and he wrote Brooklyn 518. So thank you so much for that, JJ. It's really lovely. How is it? It's good, right? Oh, yeah. What are the flavors of the remoulade? Oh, you just ate the bread. Uh, thank you, JJ, for that. It was so sweet of you. Um, I've got another bag here. And it's got, he said off mic, I've got another bag here. And in this bag, um, Ashley, was it, who gave me a woman's guide to football? Yes? yes? <laughs> Ashley? 1969. What a, what a great year in the NFL. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, this is, it says here, a woman's guide to football. This season, know the score. Learn the basics of football. Join your men at the game or TV set. (laughs) Had the housewife of 1869 been able to see ahead, chances are she'd have stormed to New Brunswick, New Jersey and plunged her Victorian hat pin into the backsides of 22 students from Princeton and Rutgers who were assembled to play the first football game on record. But Granny was no soothsayer, and as it turned out, her lack of foresight didn't matter for the better part of a century. I'm writing this from patronizing towers high above New York City. But I guess you know, lady, things have changed. (laughs) 
This is the age of television. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for this. It is fantastic. Yeah, uh, we're, we, we, if we have time, we're going to talk about the NFL. Uh, darling, you, who made me the... Uh, you, didn't, you said you were against making macaroons, but you gave them to me. Share, yes. Sarah? Share. What was it? Share. Stop fucking yelling at me. <laughs> what is it? Share. Share? Like share, share? <laughs> what was it? Is this a trick question? Anyway, thank you. They're lovely. Opium? Cannabinol? Just a touch of Mexican brown. <laughs> China white. Mm, what a bouquet on these. Thank you, my precious love. These are really lovely. Absolutely gorgeous. Thank you, my precious. I said to her, did you bake these? And she goes, no, I'm against that sort of thing. Um, our young, um, oh, let's see here. Oh, you wrote it on the back. Willie, our young Willie wrote, uh, gave us a bottle of Amaro Marlena. Does anyone know? Yeah. Uh, um, it's quite cloudy. Look at it. You can't see through the bottle. And um, he said it's a traditional uh, brew of uh, uh, herbs and spices that um, makes the dead to rise. <laughs> it looks fucking awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, 16 extractions of herbs, barks, roots, and citrus. And the crowd goes quiet. <laughs> Greg, we were kind of hoping there would be stuff. Like jokes and shit. Instead, what there's been so far has been a lot of fucking criticism of my dancing. A woman tonight said to me, um, someone says hi to you from San Francisco. And I was like, who? And they go, Tom from No Sisters. Now, if you're not from San Francisco or you don't remember the 80s and late 70s in San Francisco, No Sisters was a group that was all brothers. And... Oh, the things we got up to. And to be honest, they all looked like me. They all wore glasses and had curly hair. And I saw them several times at the Mabuhay Gardens and other punk places. And um, she goes, Tom says hi. And I went, oh, my God, Tom was the one I looked like. And she went, yeah, he spent a lifetime saying that. <laughs> so uh, thank you for that. It was very exciting for me. Um, Bill, who's a good friend of the show, uh, gave me a bunch of um, uh, replica buttons of when Jello Biafra, the singer from the Dead Kennedys, uh, ran for mayor in San Francisco. <laughs> he also gave me the sticker, Nazi Punks Fuck Off, and the single of Nazi Punks Fuck Off which is so pertinent to now. I don't think Nazi punks fuck off has ever been more pertinent. It has a swastika with a cross over it, as in no Nazis. I had the single back in the day because uh, I'm down by law. And uh, thank you for that, Bill. It's really cool. He also gave me a diary of Nikki Six from Motley Crue called Heroin Diaries, A Year in the Life of a Shattered Rock Star. Um, 
I've never, I've never met Nikki Six, nor have I listened to a Motley Crue song all the way through. <laughs> However, I saw Jennifer and I were at the parking lot at Fred Siegel in Beverly Hills once, and we saw Tommy Lee smoking a cigarette, and it was great. <laughs> because he was wearing a long coat, sunglasses, and he French inhaled, and we looked at him, and he went, huh? <laughs> And I went, squares, squares, squares. <laughs> Furry butts and hiding nuts. Squares, squares, squares. A climbing trees and spreading disease. <laughs> Motley Crue. Wow. <laughs> a friend of mine was at a show, a Motley Crue show, and he bet another friend of mine. At the, he said, I'll give you $20 for every note that Vince Neil hits during the show. <laughs> And the other friend went, you're on. And at the end, he went, sorry, dude, I owe you. <laughs> this was a couple years ago. Oh, they're a vital part of American rock. <laughs> Thank you for that, Bill. Uh, Nikki had to be revived twice, I believe, with um, uh, an adrenaline shot in his heart on one particular night. He OD'd, and then because it wasn't enough, he OD'd again. Ozzy toured with them, and my favorite story from the whole tour is, at one point, they were snorting ants off the tour bus floor. Snorting ants. And Tommy Lee's recollection was, we could have been doing drugs, but we were snorting ants, man. And in a way, you're like, I don't want to party with you guys. This one's called the Book Burning Tour. And the crowd's gone quiet yet again. I'm going to rally so fucking hard toward the end. It's almost toward the end. Uh, we've had a, a gay, gay week here in New York. Um, we've been, uh, we went to uh, Three Tall Women by Edward Albee with them. Um, yeah. Glenda Jackson uh, and um, Lori Metcalf and uh, Allison Dill. And uh, Lori Metcalf and... Glenda Jackson were just, oh my God. Glenda Jackson is like a tsunami, a tidal wave. She's a force of nature. She's not only one of the greatest feminist actresses of all time who always managed to play a part completely separate from any approval of men throughout the entirety of her career. She quit uh, being an actor and was, um, when we lived in England in the 90s, um, the, uh, minister, uh, the member of parliament from our neighborhood uh, for several years. And um, that's the kind of badass she is. Last year, she came back on the stage at the Old Vic in London, and in an all-woman version of King Lear, played King Lear. And, uh, yeah. This year, we saw her just two days ago, three days ago, in uh, Three Tall Women by Edward Albee. And um, my understanding is after the show, she has a whiskey and smokes a cigarette, and she's in her 80s. And I was like, oh, fuck to the yeah. Um, Glenda Jackson is uh, beyond, beyond, beyond. And if you've never seen an Edward Albee play, it would behoove you. Now, I realize you're like, it costs a zillion dollars and shit. I'm un I understand that. But if you can get in the back and, you know, I don't know, you have to stand at stubs next to the person with NY written on their butt. <laughs> and the person dressed as Pikachu. Was it ever thus? It's in every city. Uh, uh, but it's a superb play. And uh, it's about one woman and three women. And it's metaphorical, right? Uh, the first act, it's a woman and her caretaker and a lawyer. And then the second act, all three actresses play the same woman in different phases of her life. And as we were leaving, a guy behind us was saying to his two compatriots, who were both women, 
I didn't understand. In the first act, they were like three separate characters. But in the second act, they were like three elements of the same woman. So what the fuck was going on? <laughs> Poetry's so important. trees and spreading disease. Squirrels, squirrels, squirrels. Hiding nuts and throwing butts. <laughs> then we went to see the boys in the band last night and uh, it is fucking sensational. It's really funny. Uh, Jim Parsons and Zach Kino and a cast of amazing actors are, are, since, are really tremendously funny and witty and savage. Uh, Mark Crowley, who's a, a friend of the show, you may remember him from the Mark Crowley, Tony Visconti episode from a couple of years ago back at Jazz Pub where we interviewed both of them. Mark Crowley wrote Boys in the Band uh, in uh, 67 and went on stage in 68. There was a movie of it in 70 that he produced and wrote that Friedkin directed. It's the first great groundbreaking gay play about gay men in America. And uh, 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 it, it was just... What can I tell you? The place was heaving, and Joe Mantello directed it. And uh, Joe Mantello also directed, by the way, Three Tall Women. So I've had a Joe Mantello weekend. And um, uh, they're both sensationally staged and wonderfully realized. And uh, if you haven't seen theater, it would behoove you to go. I think it's only a 15-week run, um, but golly, it's good. Um, it, it's, a, it's a piece of history because afterwards comes Larry Kramer, and afterwards comes Tony Kushner, and afterwards comes a million different playwrights and, uh, and, uh, and women artists who were able to uh, uh, capture the zeitgeist after he did. His is before Stonewall. And if you don't know what Stonewall was, uh, the night Judy Garland died, there was a giant riot starting by transsexuals uh, in New York City in Greenwich Village uh, that went uh, and exploded. And that's really the big first apotheosis of gay rights in the United States where the cops met the... Uh, gay people in the street, and particularly transsexual, let's be honest, uh, tran, uh, transvestite and transsexual uh, gay people, um, who, uh, uh, when Obama gave a speech, uh, before, you remember President Obama when we uh, had a country, um, yeah, bef before the, the, the Reich to end all Reichs took uh, part, uh, before uh, Benito Cheeto and uh, the whole uh, 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 Kremlin control carrot issue, uh, before Sweet Potato Stalin took over, um, before we decided to be uh, Russia in the, in the 60s, uh, we had a president named President Obama, and he gave a speech, and he said, uh, Seneca, Selma, and Stonewall, right, yeah. in the speech. And exactly. Um, they're the three great moments, you know, they, of a million moments. Um, and what I'm getting at is this. Um, you're like, everything's kind of sucked in the last week, and everything's kind of sucked in the last year and a half, and, and we have a fascist regime and all this jazz, and uh, we don't want you to bum us out. And I'm like, I'm not going to bum you out, because look at all the good things that have happened in the last few weeks. We've understood that um, teenagers are able to get companies to kneel down to them by getting them to boycott. We've understood that. Not only is there going to be a gigantic shockwave in 164 days when the midterm elections happen, that women of color and women are winning all over. And this isn't a lie, and don't let the media take you on another narrative. The Democrats, or whatever we want to call them, are not in disarray. That's a load of fucking bullshit. What's in disarray 
is someone who calls uh, for Spygate and witch hunts and goes golfing every fucking day and acts like a maniac and sends people on TV and lies continually to confuse us and does this whole Goebbels fucking slash Stalin thing is in the midst of the most giantest fucking prosecution in the history of mankind with five guilty pleas, one person serving time already and... Dozens of indictments. This isn't imaginary. It's not a wish hunt. There's no such thing as Spygate. There's also no such thing as, like, Frosty the Snowman and shit. White people want you to believe a dazzling variety of things, like kneeling's important. Yeah. Yeah. So, Boys in the Band is well worth your time. Uh, Mark Crowley's triumph and uh, beautifully realized. So, I saw those two things with Jennifer. We couldn't have been happier. The Royal Wedding. Now... Why is it important? Why did you watch it? Why are you talking about it, Greg? Here's the reason why. A biracial woman married into the fucking House of Windsor, which was the House of Saxe-Coburg. You can't imagine how racist and fascist the House of Windsor is. Perhaps you can. Maybe in the deepest depths of your mind, when you were watching a show with Elizabeth Hurley, you could imagine how fucking fascist the crown of uh, uh, the country of Britain is. Um, Jennifer pointed it out to me the other day. Elizabeth, our two, um, has but one uh, goal and one uh, prime objective for the rest of her life, which is to save the next 10 years till she dies at 117 or whatever. Her, her mother died at 102, so there's no guarantee she'll ever die. <laughs> and that's to perpetuate the crown. And this TV show slash media event was presented for our delectation and delightfully wrought so that there was carriages and bouquets and, and green fields and cheering fucking peasants with flags and a jaguar. Remember all of it? It was fantastic. Idris Elba was there from Pacific Rim. <laughs> They did that on purpose to show that inclusion is the order of the day and that even a stodgy, terrible, awful, unsupportable Nazi franchise like The Crown can even let a partially black person sit there sometimes for half a day. For the rest of her life, she cannot take a selfie, go outside by herself, or not wear nude stockings with a dress. And she has to pump out a bunch of ginger babies. (laughs) It was the blackest royal wedding in the history of ever. A choir sang uh, Stand By Me, which was written by Benny King and two other songwriters, not of much note. And thank you. Uh, That was Prince Charles' idea, evidently. Uh, and then there's uh, the Reverend Michael B. Curry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. An extraordinary moment in British history to allow a black um, Episcopalian priest to get up, who's very good friends with the Reverend Dr. Barber of North Carolina, who has been running Moral Mondays there for months or years, uh, to get North Carolina to uh, revoke some of its terribly repressive voting laws and whatnot. And I wanted to read you a couple of lines. From what Michael Curry said, Dr. Martin Luther King once said, we must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love. And when we discover that, we'll be able to make of this old world a new world. Love is the only way. And this is what I never thought would be said in front of Prince Philip. No child would go to bed hungry in such a world as that. 
Poverty would become history in such a world as that. The earth would be a sanctuary, sanctuary in such a world as that. Those words weren't chosen lightly. And those words uh, were put out there because everyone in America was watching, including a lot of people we know whose names shall not be spoken, who weren't invited and didn't go. (laughs) This was aimed at them. And that's the power, uh, as the NFL would have said in 1969, of television. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to go watch my TV set. Then I'm going to dial the operator. I'm going to dial popcorn and see what time it is. We used to dial popcorn when I was little. P-O-P-C-R-O-C-O, wherever it's spelled. And a woman's voice would come on and go, at the time, the time will be 12.30 and 20 seconds. Beep. At the town, the time will be 12.30 and 30 seconds. Beep. Oh, yeah, you fucking did. You guys are like, really? That's creepy. I've seen your movies. You don't think it's creepy now? Ryan Reynolds and shit, really? The crowd goes all quiet. We like my man. Yeah, we had this cartoon of (laughs) Spider-Man. Believe me, he does whatever a spider can. (laughs) You mean he gives birth to an enormous, weird, milky sack of eggs and then eats the head off the person he fucks? (laughs) That doesn't seem very helpful. (laughs) Parker, get into my office. I'm going out, Aunt May. I never get laid, but I spew a weird silky thing from my wrists. (laughs) Be careful out there, Peter. I'm knitting. (laughs) Uh, Megan's uh, uh, Megan's mom, uh, Dream Markle, uh, wore a nose ring, which was super awesome at a royal wedding. Um, This is an article uh, from... Think poverty. For people used to being part of the majority, these may be symbols they don't easily see. But for those of us who relate to Markle's situation, a person of color entering perhaps the whitest and most exclusive spaces in the world, the British royal family, they speak to a, uh, an everyday sense of being the first, of bringing a heritage that changes the atmosphere, of having to decide whether to downplay it or wear it with pride. An extraordinary event. Let's build on it and erase racial inequality. How about that? By the way, uh, Meghan Markle's great uncle, uh, great great uncle, was named William Demont Happy Evans, and he played uh, fantastically for the Homestead Grays in the Negro League. There's always a big, yeah, there's always a Negro League connection to everything. Um, what the good news is this week is Ireland, of course, and now, yeah, it won't take place for six months. I mean, I played Ireland a million times: uh, Cork, uh, Port Elige, uh, uh, Galway. 
uh, um, Dublin City and whatnot. And I really love it there every time, and I adore the Irish audiences. But they know what they are. My opener in Ireland is often this. It's so nice to be here in Ireland. Aside from the grinding poverty and the screaming misogyny, this is the nicest place in the world. Um, they, the state of Ireland let a woman, forced a woman to die a couple of years ago because their, their law is so repressive against abortion, which makes them only equal to Iowa. And uh, they, they've revoked that. And it was overwhelming. It was uh, uh, 66% of the majority, including the countryside. And in six months' time, it's going, the wheels grind slowly, as they say, but they bend toward justice. Women candidates in the United States um, kicked fucking ass this week. Yeah. Former Dallas County Sheriff Lupe Valdez won the Democratic gubernatorial nomination. She's going to run against Governor Greg Abbott in November's general election. Uh, she's a lesbian woman of color running on a progressive platform, and they chose her over the white Houston businessman. Stacey Abrams won in Georgia. And if you don't think this shit's for real, Roy Moore, the alleged pedophile, the one who was endorsed by Orange 45, the one who was hanging out at malls, the one who was banned from malls in Alabama because he was hitting on 14-year-old girls, the one who used to go down in the courthouse and hit on 14-year-old and underage girls, lost the election, even though he rode a horse there and carried a gun and refused to concede, and he's suing the state and all that shit. America has fucking woke up. It really fucking has. And don't let people tell you anything else. What can I do? You can back all women candidates. You can go on Emily's list. You can go to She Should Run. You should go to Run for Something. You can go to Senate.gov and House.gov and hector your elected officials ceaselessly about ICE and about immigration and about women's rights and about Title X. That's what you can fucking do. I don't have time. Write an email. I don't have any money. Don't send an email. Do something else. Um, go to the Lady Post Justice League and just fucking click on it. Do whatever you fucking can. There's no lack of enthusiasm. We are in the giant majority. Orwell said if the proles wanted, they could shake off the party like a dog shaking off fleas. We can shake off the Republican administration and Republican Congress and, and Senate in an instant in fucking November. And I mean that with all of my goddamn heart. I'm not being Pollyanna. This wouldn't be happening if that wasn't true. Stacey Abrams wouldn't be the nominee for governor in Georgia. There's never been a black woman governor. It's 2018. Um, Amy McGrath, a retired Marine fighter pilot, won the Lexington, Kentucky area six district contest, and she's going to take on Republican Andy Barr in a red-leaning district in November. She is um, a, a fighter pilot, the first woman to drive, uh, F drive, fly. I always... Driving, flying. And FA-815-89 combat missions. That's what women have to be. As Jennifer once said to me, every woman has to be better than Jackie Robinson was. Every woman has to be better than Hillary Clinton is. Every woman has to be better than that for men to get off their fucking dick for two fucking seconds. Roy Moore... 
was a viable candidate. People voted for him. That's how low the bar is for white people. Orange 45 is president. Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions, the fucking third, is fucking uh, attorney general of the United States. Scott Pruitt is still running the EPA. When in any normal fucking world where there was any forbearance, sense of governance, stewardship, or lack of fucking utter traitorship and corruptions by the Republicans, Republicans, they would be all out right now. We would be having Judge Rehnquist wore gold braids to Bill Clinton's impeachment hearings. That's all you need to know about what Republicans are about. They're the party of pederasty and fucking sexual assault is what they're the party of. Racism. And don't think there's no fucking difference. And don't try it on me. And don't fucking Bernie bro me. And don't fucking at me. And don't fucking our revolution me. Fuck you. Grow up, read a book, learn some history. Right this fucking second. If women of color are telling you it's not happening, it's not happening. You don't need me, a white guy, to reiterate what's already true. Gina Ortiz want to run off in Texas 23rd and will face Republican Will Hurd in a vast region on the Tex-Mex border in Texas 31st Congressional, Congressional District. M.J. Hagar, an Air Force veteran and author of the memoir Shoot Like a Girl, is the Democratic nominee. These are all Congress, congressional seats. Every single seat in Congress is up for re-election this year. 435 seats. Imagine a 350-seat majority. What can happen? Imagine Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House again. What can fucking happen? And for those of you who are like, she's old, she needs to move on. You know who needs to move on? Chuck Schumer and Bernie fucking Sanders. That's who needs to fucking move on. Old white men need to move on. But Greg, you're an old white man. I'm advocating for my dismissal. I'm going to be the last old white guy being pushed into the crater yelling at you. I fucking told you so. Lizzie Pinelli Fletcher in Houston in the 7th District uh, is the target of one of the Democratic Congressional Committees. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the, the Democratic Party attacked her. She won, and she's going to take on John Culberson. Um, Ireland, we talked about that. Um, Stormy Daniels got the key to the city in West Hollywood this week. What a brave woman. What an illustrative moment for a woman who was abused, paid off by the so-called alleged president um, during the time when his wife was pregnant. He paid her money. This isn't a rumor. This is a fact. We know this. We know that Michael Cohen met with Qatari officials 10 days before the election and took money from them. We know that there is corruption and collusion to the highest levels of the land. These aren't rumors. I'm not psycho. I'm not crazy. I don't live in a van and shit like that. It's facts. Because they don't seem like facts is because the noise machine on the other side keeps running lies and saying things like witch hunt and spygate and crazy shit like that. The truth is, this is a cacotocracy, this is a kleptocracy, this is an autocracy, but a shitty one. 
not unorganized. The things they're doing are strategically, surgically struck so that they will cause the most pain. Hideously, as Orwell said, picture the future. What is power? Power is the ability to inflict pain on another person, a boot stamping on a human face. What's going on with immigration? What's going on with Title X and women? All that is to punish people. There's no other reason because there's no logical motive for it. It doesn't improve anyone's life. It doesn't move anything forward. It doesn't even make more money for the corporations. They simply, on the one hand, want to provide for their billionaire donors, and on the other hand, punish everyone they think needs punishing. And this ends soon, my darlings. And if you're feeling a pang of consciousness or conscience about, oh, we shouldn't be vicious toward our enemies, you should forgive everyone and forget nothing. Nothing you should forget. And by the way, they're not going to play fair, and they're not going to not cheat, and they're not going to collude, and they're not going to try to hack everything. There's no department, uh, the, the, the hacking of the United States government computers, that's been dismantled. They're letting that open so everything can ride. But they can't do anything about overwhelming numbers. They really fucking can't. The voting commission fell and shriveled and fall, fell into the earth, and Kobach and his entire fucking bullshit case is caught up in the Kansas court system, Missouri court system, and... You know, honestly, look at the bright side. Um, and here's the bright side. Asha Argento gave an enormously important speech at Cannes last week. Um, Cannes is a place where uh, film people gather to abuse women every year <laughs> and ignore them as actresses and filmmakers. It's part of what show business is all about. And she said, Harvey Weinstein raped me here because Harvey Weinstein's hunting grounds was Cannes. Cannes bears a great deal of responsibility like the University of Michigan like the Catholic Church. I mean, I could go on and on, like the White House, like the White House, where women are abused with impunity. Harvey Weinstein was taken into custody day before yesterday in New York City. Released on a million dollars bail. Um, I won't go into the whole thing, but I want to read you a couple of things written by Sophie Nelson on the, on the magazine. Ask, uh, her name is Sophie, Sophia A. Nelson Esquire. She wrote The Women Code, 20 Powerful Keys to Unlock Your Life. One, women have changed the game. They've empowered a new generation of women to raise their voices and not shrink back when they're harassed or assaulted by men. Two, men of power and otherwise should be put on notice. If you go down this path of abuse or if you've done so in your past, you'll be exposed. And the result could be your personal and professional rumination. Three, all corporations and industries must take issue of sexual harassment and assault seriously. Four, other men need to hold abusive men to account. And this is where we come in. I need all the men within the sound of my voice, the men in this room and the men who are listening, to understand that. It's one thing to get that men are oppressive. It's another thing to understand and employ. Everyone you know that's a woman has been harassed. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Every one of them. I don't mean sexually abused. Maybe they were lucky and didn't get sexually abused. But I'm going to guess most people in this room, men and women, know exactly what I'm talking about. That is what is so triggering about everything that's going on. The violence against LGBTQ people and women. The violence and the insensitivity uh, about abuse. Um, when uh, Rob Porter or, 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 or one of... Uh, uh, Orange 45's cronies or Orange 45 himself makes a payoff and we're supposed to just uh, Harvey Weinstein's lawyer said Harvey Weinstein didn't invent the casting couch that's not a defense 
That's the lowest fucking crater you can fucking hide in, you slimy, nudibranch, invertebrate piece of shit. Inconceivable bottom-dwelling worm from the Marianas Trench. Um, aim a little higher. Uh, gentlemen, or if you will, lads. This is the time we've got to step up, you see. Don't abuse women. When you see women being abused, what do you mean by that? Nice tits. Smile. Any of that shit. God, I'd like to fuck her. Stop that shit, man. For real. It would be cool if you did. You would be cool if you did. Be the person you wish your dad had been. That's all I'm saying. My dad let me and my family down more than you could, than you can imagine. You can imagine it. You can imagine how much my dad let me and my family down. I'm evolving. None of us are perfect. Blah, blah, blah. I didn't invent the casting couch isn't a defense. That's like Cosby saying I didn't invent fucking roofies. Sorry to get so real, but that's the way it is. Um, Gun protests. This week, there was a terrible shooting in Santa Fe, Texas. The governor of Texas, Abbott, and the lieutenant governor of Texas, Patrick, are thumping, flaming, unreconstructed troglodytes who haven't the slightest notion of what's going on in the world. Their way of thinking is outmoded and outdated and is not supported by the majority of people in the United States. The teenagers who have taken the forefront recently from the mothers of the movement and all of the people, uh, the mothers of the uh, victims of black violence in this country, from Shannon Watts and all of the Newtown people. If you wish to participate, uh, let's see here. Uh, Shannon, you may follow Shannon Watts. um, At Moms Demand, at Every Town, uh, at Rise to Run, and at Emerge America are elective sites, as is at Emily's List. Um, those are places you can go if you wish to participate uh, in a, a giant sweeping movement to bring coherent gun laws to this fucking lawless ass motherfucking land. Planned Parenthood serves 41% of the patients who receive services through Title 10. Um, begs to differ about this crappy ruling. The no-gag rule campaign, um, by the way, there's going to be rallies for it um, coming up. You may want to participate in those uh, um, rallies against the no Title 10 thing. It's a gag rule that's trying to be employed domestically. Reagan was the last president that tried to do it because Reagan played to the same goddamn crowd, the fetus fucking worshipers who believe that fetuses are people and and women aren't. Um, Anti-choice people and I've said it before, but I don't know another way to put it more eloquently, are violent misogynists. To fetishize fetus... I don't know how to explain to you a million ways from Wednesday that a fetus isn't a fucking person. A fetus isn't a fucking person. If you're so goddamn sensitive about it, then help pregnant women. Give them health care. Don't close fucking Planned Parenthood clinics. Give unlimited holiday access and unlimited maternal care, unlimited health care to women, not members of Congress, not fucking people, right? Put your money where your fucking mouth is. I don't want to hear a goddamn word about how venerated motherhood is when I have to watch women at the end of their fucking tether walk into these fucking clinics and be harassed by asshole men. And 
asshole politicians. Um, you've heard about the NFL. Um, the NFL, yeah, is a white supremacist league run by white supremacist men who uh, wish to, and uh, Roger Goodall this week said something that if he'd said it in 1947, in, in five years' time, in two years' time, in one minute's time right now, um, it's ancient history. Um, well, a lot of people, a lot of the fan base believe that the players should... Does that sound familiar? Yeah. I was at a baseball game. There's a bigger point to this. <laughs> I was at a baseball game in 1987 in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, I was there uh, in the press box. I had wheedled a press pass. And... Uh, I'd wheedled a press pass, and um, uh, one of the executives of the San Francisco Giants was there. And there were some Japanese players on the pitch who'd come over from Japan who were playing in the minor league system and had been invited to spring training in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I said to him, 1987, do you think there'll ever be Japanese players in the major leagues? Japanese players in the major leagues. Otani, Soho, Daisuke, uh, uh, if you'll pardon the expression because we're in New York, Godzilla. You remember Godzilla? Um, he played for the Yanks. And he said to me, no. There'll never be any Japanese players in the big leagues. And I said to him, I was a Smartenheimer 27-year-old <laughs> with shorts on, like you. <laughs> That's what they said about black people during World War II. <laughs> and he went... I thought he was going to strike me. He was so fucked off at me. And I'm like, really? Really? Roger Goodall, the NFL owners, Orange 45, you should be ashamed of yourself. Fuck yeah. These men have every right to protest, and women in the WNBA, and women in the soccer Woo! league, and everyone. You can... Did Jesse Owens and John Carlos and Wyoming Atias and Dee Dee Trotter, and Serena Williams, did, did, and Arthur Ashe, and Billie Jean King, and I, I can go on and fucking on and on. Really? Really? You're going to find them? And what did 145 suggest? Deport them if they don't kneel? Fuck you. Yeah. You know what? They built this fucking country, and you fucking didn't. You deferred your fucking... Yeah. Your father was marching in Nazi marches during the war, and you... Don't get an opinion. Uh, two last things. Oh, shit, this show. Jennifer's going to fucking kill me. All right, here we go. I'm going to do the next one next time, Jennifer. You'll forgive me. Uh, Reggie Lucas uh, was a guitarist. He played in Miles Davis' band. When he was a teenager, uh, Reggie Lucas uh, was asked by Miles Davis to be in one of his incarnations of his band. Uh, the band that played um, fantastically... Uh, the Jazz Funk Trilogy, Dark Magis, uh, Pangea, and Agarda, as well as On the Corner, and then later talks, including Rated X and Matumi. Um, Reggie was 18 years old, and Lucas told... This is so great. Miles said to Lucas, You want to be in my band, motherfucker? <laughs> and he, he said, I immediately said, Yeah. He wrote a lot of great songs. He wrote The Closer I Get to You uh, for Roberta Fleck and Donnie Hathaway. And he wrote uh, Never, Loved like, uh, this Never Knew Love Like This Before for Stephanie Mills, uh, which won the best, uh, a Grammy Award for Best R&B Song. He also uh, produced um, uh, 
Borderline and wrote a bunch of he did that album for Madonna and uh, Reggie Lucas is swirling in the heavens Um, what I'm asking you guys is and tee that shit up and start playing it now right now Ari Uh, what I'm getting at is this there's no reason to be depressed at all yeah the government's a bunch of fucking Nazis and there's white supremacists everywhere for now Um, we are taking back over every goddamn second of the day and we are the ones who know what's going on Uh, You need to step up right now and understand that this is your time to fucking get it done. And all of us will. If Meghan Markle can be in the goddamn royal family, anything can fucking happen. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. Every page you turn be a satchel page. Every bell that rings for you. Full pop a bond. If you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. I wish you never been loud. Good night, everybody.